if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed it is. And hour number two is now underway. Nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being here on this Thursday, the 17th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2020. You know what Thursday at 10 o'clock means. It means it's time for Dr. Everett Piper. We miss Dr. Piper, who was traveling last week. It's so good to have him back now. Dr. Piper is a past university president. He is a radio host in Oklahoma. He is a columnist for the Washington Times, and he is also a best-selling author. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be back, Bob. I bet it is, especially considering where you went and what you experienced. <laughs> I want to yeah. I want to start I want to start with this because of your tweet. Now, I don't do Twitter anymore, but I know you do and I did see your tweet uh about your experiences in Philadelphia. And uh reading your tweet for the audience and you can uh, expound upon it. After just spending three days in Philadelphia where I could do nothing, absolutely nothing, without having a foolish, ineffective mask on my face at all times, this really hits home. And you circled and underscored uh, the part of the uh, statement at the uh, base of the Statue of Liberty talking about our, our poor, huddled masses yearning to breathe free, which you are not allowed to do when you have to wear a mask. Now, before you talk about your experience there, um, listen to this because I don't think it's going to change anytime soon if the CDC director, Robert Redfield, has his uh, way. Face masks, these face masks, are the most important, powerful public health tool we have. And I will continue to appeal for all Americans, all individuals in our country, to embrace these face coverings. I've said it, if we did it for 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks, we'd bring this pandemic uh, under control. These actually, we have clear scientific evidence, they work and they are our best defense. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine. Dr. Piper, your response. What scientific evidence? I I mean, this is scientism, C.S. Lewis, Abolition of Man. This is scientism, it's not science. We're worshiping at the altar of these false claims that somehow there's scientific evidence when the New England Journal of Medicine told us that the masks are ineffective and that they're an emotional reaction, they're not a scientific reaction. Fauci himself told us 
that masks were ineffective. The Surgeon General told us that masks were ineffective. What evidence is there that these masks actually work? These people are trying to get us to prove a negative, and you can't prove a negative. And that is a rhetorical ploy on their part. It is not logical. It is not scientific. It's scientism where you're worshiping the emotions, you're worshiping false claims, when there is no empirical evidence. And if somebody wants to challenge me and point that out, then fine. I'll be open-minded and listen to that. But stop and think about the common sense, Bob. I, 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 don't, I, I guess you guys have to deal with it in Ohio to some extent, too. Um, but I don't have to deal with it in Oklahoma. But in Philadelphia, I could go nowhere, outside or inside, without a mask. You couldn't jog on the sidewalk alone without a mask. You couldn't walk your dog alone without a mask. And then you enter into a, a restaurant. You stand in the lobby, masked up. You walk five feet to the booth or the table where they're going to sit you. You can then take your mask off. Sit it on a dirty table, put it in your pocket, contaminate it on the bench or the seat next to you, talk to your friends, five, ten of them, for two hours while you're having dinner, and then put the contaminated mask back on your face and walk five steps through the restaurant back outside. Now tell me, who in their right mind thinks that mask stops the spread of anything? In fact, there's evidence out there that the contaminated mask that you've been breathing through all day long, has bacteria, and is causing you to get sick rather than stopping you from getting sick. I don't care if somebody points out that I'm wrong, but at this point, we're following like a bunch of blind sheep. And I don't even if the mask works, Bob, why should I have to wear it when I'm jogging alone on the sidewalk, my land? All very good questions, and there's one other aspect to what Dr. Redfield said that I'd like to get your thoughts on. Now, let me see if I have it queued up to the right place again, the last part. Scientific evidence, they work, and they are our best defense. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine. Did you notice something there, Dr. Piper, what Dr. Redfield just said? was that this face mask, he held it in his hand at this uh, congressional hearing before the Appropriations Committee. He said, this mask will do more to protect me than a vaccine. And I think he's been caught here, because what he and they have been uh, preaching and demanding of all of us is that we wear these masks for the protection of others, that it won't do much to protect you. It's to stop your droplets from, from escaping your mouth and being caught by this piece of, piece of cloth so that it doesn't go into the face of others. He just declared that the mask he's holding in his hand protects him. So I feel like there is a very, very mixed message. I think they're always off message because they know there is no consistent uh, and scientifically verified argument that they can make. It's spot on. They told us from the beginning, well, at the beginning, they said the masks are ineffective. Don't worry about it. Don't wear them. Surgeon General, Fauci, and the list goes on, as I just described. Yeah. Then they then they change, They move the target. Then they say, well, wear the mask because it'll protect others. It's the humane thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's not protecting you, but you should be humane. You should honor those people around you, and, and don't, don't put them in jeopardy. That's what we've been living with for months. Now they're shifting the target again. They're moving. It's just like the global warming and climate change debate. Move the target when you're proved wrong. It's just like the sexual fluidity thing. Move the target when you're proved wrong. They don't have scientific evidence because they keep moving the target and they keep changing the message. 
they keep changing it on us because they want to control us. And I would argue that there's another implied um, uh, outcome to this doctor's statement. Mm -hmm. This mask is protecting me as much, if not more, than the vaccine. It's a setup so that we'll have to get the vaccine when that's out. Because if you have to wear the mask, then you have to get the vaccine. It'll be required. And more more importantly, if you uh, insist on not wearing the mask, if you don't believe me that wearing the mask works, and if you don't want to have to keep wearing a mask, then you have to get the vaccine. If you don't do one, you must do the other. And, that's, and, and of course, if you are doing one, then why would you not want to continue on and be safer and do the other? So that's exactly right. Dr. Piper, let's move on to the Washington Times, your column from this past weekend. Um, the rioting that is going on in this country continues. It's, it's unabated, and in fact, it is expanding to more cities. It is indeed what you describe as mob rule, and it is not unprecedented in history. And are we going to learn from the history of mob rule or not? Why don't you explain? Uh, let's start out with George Santayana again, famous quote, those who don't learn the lessons of history are going to be doomed to repeat them. George Santayana, others said the same thing, but it's often attributed to him. And it's self-evident. You need to learn from the past or you're going to continue to make the same stupid mistakes over and over again. So what does history tell us? Let's go back to Aristotle in the politics. Aristotle talked about the reality the facts of politics, and he grounded that in the family, in the authority and the disciplinary structure of the family, because the family was real, not the theories of the sophists. He recognized that if you were going to have a free people, you had to ground freedom in reality, and he anchored it in the family, a father, a mother, and a child. Then comes along uh, Edmund Burke, some 2,000 years later, or approximately that, in the 1700s, he sees the French Revolution, and he recognized that this theory-laden nonsense of the Jacobins was going to result in blood flowing in the streets. So Volk, excuse me, Edmund Burke made the exact same argument as Aristotle. He argued against the theories, the theories of the Jacobins, because they weren't grounding their politics in science, in the historical fact of what a man and a woman, what the human being really is. Um, you've got another person that comes around uh, 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 about 250 years later, and that's um, Eric Vogelin. During World War II, he recognizes that the Nazi regime was guilty of the exact same thing as the Jacobins in the French Revolution and as the Sophists in Aristotle's time. They were grounding their politics in the arrogance of human theory rather than the reality of human history. Doesn't that sound familiar today? Critical race theory. It's not reality. It's a theory. Critical race theory is leading to the same aggression, the same vice, the same violence as these historical facts that I just cited. We need to recognize that if you want to be free, you've got to ground it in God's self-evident truths, not the arrogance of socialism, and not the arrogance of Marxism, and not the arrogance of critical race theory and Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera. This is the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is a party of, uh, of theories, arrogance, presumption, and I would argue the Republican Party is a party of facts and history and the reality of what it means to be a human being. Very well said, and it's hard to argue any of those points. Again, the history is there before us, and yet I don't. I fear that uh, not enough people are are willing to learn it. And, and your adage, your old adage, is correct, and we are going to repeat it. Uh, Dr. Piper, this is a good place for our break, so we can come back and talk about our final topic. And we're going to be talking... <clears throat> 
excuse me, we're going to be talking about uh, our schools, and we're going to be talking about, um, well, your book, your first, which started out as a column or as a letter, not even a column, it was a letter to your students at the university that you once uh, presided over, uh, and the book that became uh, that came of that, Not a Daycare. And uh, this is exactly what your advice is for students today who are upset about what they are hearing in uh, on college campuses and in classrooms. And we'll uh, let you discuss that with us right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1023, as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer with Dr. Everett Piper. I kind of labored to, you know, just quickly gloss over the story of really how Dr. Everett Piper kind of, uh, you know, received his launch into fame, I think. Uh, He was already very well known in the academic circles, but um, he became a national celebrity when he wrote a letter to his students that went viral, students at Oklahoma's Wesleyan University, uh, telling them that, I don't care about your feelings. We are not running a daycare. This is an institution of higher learning. That is a very quick paraphrase. That turned into a book called Not a Daycare. And Dr. Piper um, I love how you <laughs> took this story at Southern California, USC, and applied your own logic to it. A U.S. academic uh, by the name of Greg Patton, a professor, Greg Patton was giving a lecture about the use of filler words uh, during an online class at USC. And we, I, I do this for a living. Occasionally, as you're trying to formulate your next thought, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll let loose with the um or the, you know, uh, whatever your comfort word is. People sometimes call them crutch words to lean on while you're trying to think about what you want to say next. And this is what he did. And in the course of this lesson, he used a couple of examples like um and er, and then speaking to Asian students, apparently, Based on your native language, like in China, he used a Chinese word that means the same thing as um or er. Now that word, Dr. Piper, I'm going to let you describe for us and tell us what happened and more importantly about the uh, student's response to it. Okay, very briefly. Uh, Professor at the University of California System in Santa Barbara, okay? Probably not a conservative because 90% of the professors in that system are not conservative. So let's just assume, for the sake of argument, the guy's progressive left. Okay. He's trying pretty to. Pretty good teach bet, right? Student. Pardon me? It's a pretty good bet that he is, yes. Fair enough. Okay. So he's trying to teach his students. As I, as I understand the story, it's a, it's a class on international business. So he's trying to teach his students about the use of filler words, um, er, like, etc. And he says, now, in China, the international business, in China, there's a filler word you need to recognize because it'll be, pro- it'll be used prolifically as the Chinese are communicating with, them, with you. And that filler word in Chinese is ni ga, ni ga, N-E-E-G-A-H is the way it's pronounced, ni ga. Now, say it quickly. Ni-ga, the, spell, the, spelling, the spelling, just for those who want to know, the actual spelling is N-E-I-G-E. The pronunciation, you just spelled it phonetically, very correctly, N-E-E-G-A-H. So ni-ga is a Chinese word, basically, that is a filler word like um or or or, or whatever. Please continue. Okay. So while he's teaching his class on international business, trying to help students understand how to communicate with the Chinese, multicultural, intercultural communication, you'd think that the progressives would be all for this. The students go nuts. They lose their mind because they think he just used a pejorative term 
for black. Nigga. Are you out of your mind? The students say that they've been emotionally distressed. They call for the guy to be terminated. The university actually places him on administrative leave while they conduct an investigation. This is asinine. The guy was trying to communicate with his students how to understand another culture's language. He pronounced a word correctly in Chinese, which is nothing more than a filler word, a nonsense word, like um or er, like you said, a crutch, a comfort word. And they're putting him on administrative leave because they don't like the sound of a Chinese word. This is crazy. Talk about a daycare. You can, and talk about self-refuting. These people think they're all about multiculturalism and cross-culturalism and embracing the broader human experience. But when you communicate in Chinese, oh, no, that's unacceptable. You're going to lay over the top of the Chinese language your, your political um, assumptions on a different culture and a different people. This is just crazy. This poor professor has been put on admin leave because of this. Two, two other elements of the story here, or just to kind of continue what you're describing, a group of students threatened to withdraw from the class rather than, quote, endure the emotional exhaustion of carrying on with an instructor that disregards cultural sensitivities, end quote. They also added, quote, our mental health has been affected, end quote, which, of course, led to your uh, online admonition that it's time to get into a daycare rather than the institution of higher learning. The second a USC uh, student's mother is really irate about this. This is political wokeness gone mad. Professor Patton was teaching students about Chinese business culture and how the expression ni ga is often used as a pause in negotiations. It has nothing to do with the N-word, and there was no context for what he said to be interpreted as racist or racial. It is heartbreaking. A wonderful professor has been suspended and put through this. It's outrageous. And Dr. Piper, I think what I'm hoping, and, and you probably agree with this, that he is a far-left professor like 99% of them in the California university system because then they will start to see what the ridiculous cancel culture and political wokeness and political correctness does. It ruins careers and it ruins lives, and it needs to ruin the lives of progressives for the progressives maybe to start rethinking it. Very quickly, let's go back to the story of uh, Edmund Burke, warning of the French Revolution. The left always eats its own. It always consumes its own consumes its own. Robespierre, the leader of the French Revolution, died by being beheaded by the guillotine that he himself championed and invented. The left always consumes its own. Bad ideas always kill the very people that perpetuating them. Very well said. And, you know, here's what I hope is the outcome of this, that the left eats its own, meaning in this case, a leftist professor eats the leftist university for lunch. A source, according to the story, said that Professor Patton is devastated by this episode and is consulting lawyers. And I hope, regardless of the outcome of the of the investigation, the fact that this went viral and went public has already defamed him. He now, in my opinion, and I'm not a lawyer any more than I'm a doctor, but he has a defamation or a slander suit because of what anybody has said publicly uh, about what he used, that, that Chinese word that somebody didn't like the comparison or the sound uh, that, it, uh, the, that it makes compared to, as you say, the pejorative for African Americans. I'll give you the last thought, 30 seconds. Uh, well, spot on. Uh, and we've seen other progressives actually get up some courage. Well, let's go back to Jordan Peterson. 
Jordan Peterson, in some ways, is an example of somebody having the spine to step forward and do something about this and rise to fame because people actually appreciate his common sense. Very well said. Dr. Everett Piper, it's so good to have you back on the program. We missed you last week. Uh, next time you're going to travel, let's pre-record. I think, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, by the way, and I know we're past our time here, but Dr. Piper, you are very, very well received here in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, people who message me about my guests, they love certain guests that I have on, and you are always near the top of that very list. So I really thank you for coming on with us. All right. Blessings. Thank you so much, Bob. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Piper. 1031, news time. Coming back with politics. Hogan Gidley of Trump Pence 2020 will join us next. AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 1036, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for, uh, for being with us. One of, uh, thanks again, by the way, to Dr. Everett Piper and also uh, to uh, Clay Clark in segment number one. And I want to pivot to politics now, and let's take a look at the election, which is roughly six weeks away. And joining us to discuss is Hogan Gidley, former Deputy White House Press Secretary, now Press Secretary for the Trump-Pence 2020 campaign. Uh, Hogan Gidley, good morning. Good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much uh, for for having me on. Y'all have a big game, I think, tonight, right? Yeah. Well, there's a game. Uh, I don't I don't know how big it is, and second of all, I don't know how many people are going to watch it uh, because a lot of us, uh, myself included, don't believe in the woke NFL. We don't believe in the divisiveness or the Marxist organization that they are partnering with to present their games. So, uh, yeah, uh, if there's a game going on, I won't know about it. Uh, <laughs> oh wow! Sorry, Yikes. just the way it is. Yeah. Didn't, no, it, didn't mean it, to bring up bring up hurt, something hurt there. Well, you know, was, Hogan. Uh, Hogan, how do you feel about it? I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but you know, this is a this is a country that was starved starved of its sports uh, for several months because of the lockdown. Uh, none of the games were being played all summer long. Now suddenly, the NFL, the most popular sport in America, is back, and the overnight ratings for the Monday night football game and for the Thursday night football game last week when it, when it started were down thirty to forty percent. You would think people who are starving for sports would flock to the screen to watch it. But the fact of the matter is, Americans, I think many of us, don't want anything to do with with their wokeness, with their their promotion of Marxist ideals, their promotion of racial division and separation, because that's what they're doing with the Black National Anthem, with the BLM messaging, with the names of uh, of uh, of uh, convicted criminals on their helmets, uh, all kinds of things like this. Hogan, I think people are turned off by it. Americans who believe in patriotism and who believe in in our country don't like organizations that promote the destruction of our country. Well, look, I, I understand. I think there was a lot of, um, you know, clamoring out there by the American people for sports. We wanted things to kind of get back, not just because we enjoy them, but it's also a departure from, um, you know, our lives in many ways. Uh, sports is something uh, somewhat of a, you know, a release for a lot of Americans who get to the weekend and get to enjoy uh, watching, you know, the best athletes in the world perform at a level that, that few of us could ever dream and, you know, I, I think that it's back, and I think, you know, I, I see the ratings are low. I know it's just good to have something else to watch on TV other than, you know, riots and, and looting and, and all the things going on in our cities. Um, so hopefully uh, we can, we can you know, kind of, I, I guess, ignore some of the political statements and, and focus on the sport. But I know for some people it's just, it's just a tough thing to do. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's impossible when they've got the slogans painted in the end zones and you see them in every camera shot and they've got the, you know, the helmets, the back of the helmets with these names on them. So I think they really have made it impossible for us to use sports as an escape and as a distraction or a diversion from the problems that are going out there. Now they have brought them right into uh, the equation. But that's uh, perhaps for another conversation. Let's talk about another sporting event here. And this is a sparring session, is what I call it, between President Trump and George Stephanopoulos and a host of DNC plant, quote, undecided, uncommitted voters a couple of <laughs> nights ago. Uh, I feel like the president could have used it as a sparring session. Maybe that's what he was doing to prepare himself for the debates because he doesn't know what kind of questions he's going to get. So in that regard, it's probably good for him to prep. Um, but I wonder, and I've talked about this yesterday with some other folks uh, close to the campaign, whether or not this is advisable, because Joe Biden is not subjecting himself to an hour-long questioning session from Sean Hannity uh, and, and a group of right-leaning voters who want to cross-examine Joe Biden. The president puts himself out there. He's transparent. I just wonder if it's, uh, you know, I wonder if it'll be more beneficial or more harmful. Well, look, I think anytime the American people can see their president deliver a message without the filter of the mainstream media, regardless of how many times George tried to jump into the fray, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, what you're not seeing with Joe Biden, as you just point out, is, is any semblance of of um, open, honest conversation with the people of this country. Uh, it's all on teleprompter, and half the time he can't get through that uh, because people aren't working the teleprompter properly, so he doesn't have the answer at hand to, to talk. But, um, you know, the president, as you said, he is transparent. He's not afraid to go into the lion's den, as it were, and and fight on their turf. Um, He's a street brawler. He's happy to do that. Um, And, and, you know, it's it's interesting because I had some journalists call me yesterday that wrote some stories who, who aren't favorable to the president. And they point out they were writing a story that wasn't favorable to the president. And then they realized, wait a minute. Joe Biden hadn't done any of these yet. Like, Bingo. this president gets out there, at, at the very least, you got to give him credit for, you know, facing the fire. And I said, yes, welcome welcome to the show, guys. I appreciate you, you know, realizing this. So a couple stories came out today saying this guy, he's not afraid, not afraid to do it. And uh, this, this, this president will do it. Joe Biden won't. And it's pretty obvious. Isn't it something that the press should demand? I mean, seriously, the fact that the president also sat down for 18 half-hour sessions, nine full hours with Bob Woodward, which he'd be the last guy I would want to sit with, quite frankly, given the kind of books that he writes. But he did it because he doesn't have anything to hide. He did the uh, ABC town hall because he doesn't have anything to hide. Shouldn't the press demand, just in the interest of open openness and transparency, that Joe Biden do the same? Don't sit down for a softball interview with somebody from CNN asking him uh, what his favorite tie is. Is, and actually sit down with somebody who's going to challenge him <laughs> on his positions, on his platform, on his running mate, uh, who called it a Harris-Biden administration, and then Joe Biden did the same thing. I, mean, I, I, I want somebody to demand that Joe Biden answer these questions as well. He won't do it because he can't do it, and you can demand it all day, but it's not going to happen because... Love no, but if the they demand it, Hogan, I, I'm sorry. I, the demand, though, would be enough to me. He's not going to do it. But, but, but then we would be able to say that why, you know, look, out, look at this coward refusing those those demands. Yeah, look, I, I'm just saying. Here's why I don't think it's going to get that far. Because you can love or hate the press. Uh, you and I have our own opinions. I think they're pretty close, closely aligned. But the press do one thing really well. They protect their own. And Joe Biden's one of them. He's now he's now a leftist activist. He's embraced all these radical policies like Green New Deals and $4 trillion tax increases and all the horrible things he wants to do to this country, like remake it in the image of socialism. 
So they're not going to they're not going to hit the guy. They're going to allow him to do the campaign he wants to do, uh, or or you know the campaign that that his health or or, or uh, mental capacity can handle. And then they're going to say it's brilliant. I mean, these debates upcoming, for example. Uh, it's pretty clear Joe Biden's lowered the bar himself just by you know when he opens his mouth, but he's also been doing this for 50 years. So he knows how to debate. He's going to be ready for this. He's going to come out swinging. And we fully expect if Joe Biden were to walk to that stage and stand up to that microphone and say, hi, my name's Joe, the media is going to say, yes, this guy is a master orator. He should be the leader <laughs> right. of this country. He can absolutely stand up to all of the foes we face uh, across the globe. He could get a peace deal. He can get a trade deal, uh, even though he's had 50 years to do it. And, and basically what he's telling you is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all the things I've promised starting right now, because he hadn't done them for, for the last five decades. So they're going to cover for him either way. And, and the same thing applies to doing interviews. They're, they have the chance to take a crack at him every once in a while. And when they do, like you said, what's your favorite color? What kind of tree are you? But it's all questions about Donald Trump. They don't ask him a single question about his own failed policies, his own ridiculous ideas for the future. Not one. It's all about Donald Trump because for them in the media, as I said, they protect their own, and they don't like Donald Trump. So they want to give uh, Joe Biden all the softballs they can uh, with which to beat up the president. Yeah, very well said. Hogan Gidley is our guest with the Trump-Pence 2020 re-election campaign. Let me get a couple of current issues going on here. Yesterday... The president, uh, well, rather, let me go in reverse order. Uh, the CDC director, Robert Redfield, said that the president's wrong, that uh, there's going to be a vaccine perhaps by next month and perhaps 100 million, I think the president said, doses could be available by the end of the year or shortly thereafter. Director Redfield said, no, that's not happening until maybe the second or third quarter of 2021. And then uh, the president said the, the CDC director is misinformed. Yeah, he, he, uh, he's misunderstanding this. Who's right? The president's right. Uh, I've been in these meetings, uh, you know, all in the Situation Room preparing for COVID for months and months and months and months while Democrats were focused on impeachment. I watched the bureaucracy try to move at the glacial pace that they tend to do. This president said, no, we're moving things fast. Uh, we're getting things done. I'm not sure what Dr. Re- and I know Dr. Redfield, I'm not sure what he's talking about exactly. But the president's gone through multiple tracks here at once. And this is what makes him so brilliant. He's literally at the same time pushing for a safe and effective vaccine, he's also rebuilding the stockpile with billions of pieces of equipment. He's also building ventilators at a clip that had never been seen before with a public-private partnership that was first thought unthinkable. Then uh, he's also, with Project Warp Speed, Operation Warp Speed, I should say, um, is building uh, syringes, vials, uh, different swabs to actually administer a vaccine when it becomes available. So when it actually does come come ready for the public, you're going to have all the ways with which to administer that vaccine, uh, administer therapeutics in real time. You're not going to have to wait for those things to catch up to the vaccine. That's how, how smart the president is. And I don't know if Dr. Redfield doesn't know that. I don't know if he was anticipating that and he's just used to the old bureaucratic way of doing things, taking years and years and years. But this president has, has a group working uh, all throughout the federal government to get this thing ready and online so the American people can get it as soon as possible. And so uh, I'm not sure where the confusion is, but it's pretty obvious that, um, that uh, the president has this thing humming along really nicely and ready to be uh, doled out to the American people. 
Hogan, most people uh, care about what's going on in their backyard. Uh, they care about their job. They care about whether or not their business is going to be around because uh, so many of them are forced to operate at a small percentage of their capacity if they're allowed to be open at all in, num- in a number right. of states. So we're, we're dealing with all of this here. And because of that, there may not be a lot of interest in what's going on internationally. But can you speak to the importance of what happened two days ago when the president sat down uh, at the White House with the leaders of Israel, Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates and signed peace accords, normalized relations between what were supposed to be adversarial enemies for the history of history and the history uh, uh, and the future of history to come? Yeah, it was so impactful and so important um, for the American people here and abroad. Uh, it went to stabilize the region in large part. Um, you know, working with our partners and allies to do these type of deals is something Donald Trump has been working on since he became president. All of the experts, all of the bureaucrats, all the pundits said you can't do it the way Donald Trump's doing it. You have to keep doing it the way the failed politicians have been doing it uh, and and failing time and time again for the last several decades. The president said we're not going to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. We've got to change the way we do it. He recognized the reality on the ground that Israel has a right to exist, and all of a sudden everyone gets the fact that this this country is on board to protect those who can't protect themselves, and we're willing to um, to stand up for peace in, in the region. It's, it's a peace through strength mentality, and we're not going to appease people. We're going to work together. That's why Bahrain is on board. That's why um, the UAE came on board. We expect other countries to follow, as you just heard the president mention yesterday. Democrats want to ignore this, but I have to tell you, one of the reasons this happened because of I mean, I guess Democrats are kind of going to try and spin it and say it's this is for Barack Obama, and that you could make that argument because Barack Obama and Joe Biden both pushed the Iran deal so badly, and it was so horrible for the region, and it made so many of the other countries out there realize that. Uh, Biden and others stood up for uh, nuclear Iran and tried to protect them and allow them to get a nuclear weapon, lie to the world and said that they're moderating when they weren't, um, it allowed people to go in the region to say, wait a minute, we can't have a nuclear Iran. We can't have Iran terrorizing uh, the region uh, or the world for that matter. And so in some ways it kind of is their fault because they made everyone uh, come together because of their feckless, uh, ridiculous, and dangerous policy uh, in the region. This president got it. He got it early on, and it's one of the most historic days um, in our nation's history. Last thing for you, Hogan Gidley, before you go, and we're a little short on time here, but um, with California ablaze, Oregon uh, and, and Washington as well, we all heard Joe Biden's comments two days ago in which he said that giving another four years to an arsonist, to essentially a climate arsonist, uh, is going to lead to more devastation for this country. He's blaming it on global warming and blaming it, blaming it on the president's refusal to acknowledge man-made global warming and to act upon it. How do you respond to that? First of all, I don't even know what a climate arsonist is. That didn't make any sense at all. But if you're asking me to put a finer point on, on Joe Biden's comments, that's going to be difficult to do because I don't think anyone knows what he's talking about, up to and including Joe Biden. But the fact well, he's is, li- no, I mean quite it. literally, Hogan. I think he literally is saying that the fires that have been that have been set and that are that yeah. are blazing out of control were were the responsibility of the president. I think he means arson exactly I, as it sounds. 
I, th- I think I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. I just it's so foolish to say something like that. Like yeah. that. Even Gavin Newsom, the governor, said hey, we've mismanaged the forestry here. We've mismanaged the land at the local level. They've been doing this now. I think they used to do eight hundred, eighteen hundred acres uh, control burns a year. Now the experts say they need to burn twenty million acres a year to catch up to get things right. It's because they refuse to burn. They refuse to touch the environment because they think that's the best way to manage it. Manage it. And now you know it's not. And you can't blame a president of the United States in Washington, D.C., working on behalf of the American people when it was a gender reveal party gone bad that started the fire. And then they arrested someone else for trying to start more fires and let him out hours later only to catch him setting six more fires. Like, it's insane. This is clearly a problem in California, uh, one that, that the, the president, quite frankly, flew out there to see the damage and has offered assistance from the federal government, uh, as he should. And that, that's what leaders do, put politics aside and try and help out, help out people who are struggling. But to try and blame this president for coronavirus that came from China, like he's injecting people with the virus, trying to blame this president for wildfires, for decades of mismanagement in California, and somebody who set the fires is absolutely ludicrous. And I think the American people realize Joe Biden has taken it many steps too far at this point. I think that's very well said. Hogan Gidley joining us, press uh, secretary for the Trump and Pence 2020 re-election campaign. Hogan, keep up the great work sharing the good news and the message of the president. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks so much. You too. All right. That's uh, Hogan Gidley joining us. It's 1053. Hey, quick reminder before the time out. Uh, I want to remind you about the Dinesh D'Souza film. His latest is called Trump Card, an expose of the socialism, corruption, and gangsterism that defines the modern Democrat Party. This film reveals what's unique about modern socialism and who's behind it, why it's evil, and how we can work with President Trump to stop it. Pre-order your DVD and video on demand now at WatchTrumpCard.com. That's WatchTrumpCard.com. Final segment coming up. All right, final segment of the broadcast. We'll finish it up with a couple of strong phone calls. First, it's Ed in Cleveland. Thanks for your patience, Ed. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Yes, thank you, Mr. Prince. Uh, basically, I have authored a book entitled Homosexuality, AIDS, and the CDC, which goes into the um, the fault of the CDC in causing AIDS to spread in the 80s and continuing on up until the present time. very interesting fact that people don't know is, uh, guess who was the coordinator of AIDS research at the Division of National Institute of Health? Well, there's no one other, no one other than Dr. Anthony Fauci. I knew you were going to so say that. Have, yeah, so believe it or not. So now you have a disease that first appeared in five homosexual men in 1981. As of 2018, 75 million people worldwide have been affected, and 35 million have died. And uh, the, the, my book goes into the details, what they could have done to have stopped it, apparently why they didn't do it, because they had a, a policy of stigma first and life second. They were concerned about homosexuals being stigmatized. As a result, instead of instituting standard disease control measures to stop the disease, which would have greatly impacted its spread, they did absolutely nothing. And as a result, we have had a disaster. Ed, 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 I'm real short on time here. What's the title of your book? 
Homosexuality, AIDS, and the CDC. All right, and I appreciate that. Thanks so much for the phone call. I want to uh, move on, and if anybody wants to check that out, they certainly can. I want to get Penny in Painesville before we're done. Penny, I've only got 40 seconds, but I'm going to give them to you. Go ahead. Okay, thank you, Bob. I'll get right to the point. I am still shaking about this. Last Friday night at the Beachwood High School football game, all of the players during the national anthem took a knee with their backs to the flag. And this is on 9-11, which was so very emotional for all of us. Wow. Bob Hardis, Bob Hardis the superintendent, has made no mention of anything about 9-11 to the teachers or the students with their virtual teaching. And it's so upsetting to me. I, I Penny, just, I'm glad I you called me to tell me this. I, I apologize. i got to get out because we're done, but I want to look that into that myself. I had not heard that in the media or anywhere else as well. Thank you so much for the information. We'll see you tomorrow for Free for All Friday, everyone. Bye-bye.